Welcome to 9094 Chicago, episode 29. My name is Tony Zaldivar. For this episode, I sat down with the folk trio, The Accidentals, who are playing tomorrow, Sunday, November 5th, at the brunch show at City Winery. I sat down with them, had a great discussion about a bunch of different things about their music, how they how the band formed, how they came up with their new album, which is called Odyssey. It's their first major label record album. We talked about that kind of stuff. Then we talked about uh, every time they come to Chicago, like their favorite foods, favorite things to do, favorite venues to play at. And uh, stay around for an impromptu Obama impression of a very popular song from a couple years ago. It's quite hilarious. I want to thank the Accidentals for the opportunity to come and interview them. Their manager, Amber, Val from ValsList.com. Thanks for everything to help me conduct this interview. It was great. I had a great time. And as always, if you think you'd make a good interview or know someone who would, email me at 9094chicago at gmail.com. And follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Enjoy the show. I'm joined now by the members of the Accidentals. It's Katie, Sav, and Michael. Thanks for doing this, guys. Oh yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, no problem. Um, so the first thing I want to do is, uh, why are you guys in Chicago right now? You guys are playing City Winery on tomorrow, Sunday, November fifth. Explain. Uh, have you guys played that venue before? Yeah, we, we've uh, been there a few times. We, we haven't played a headlining show there, but we have done um, opening sets for, um, I think, like four or five groups So, there. yeah, Martin Sexton, mm-hmm. Carbon Leaf, The, the Ducks, and also we were Ben Soli's backup band because his band got stuck in Kentucky in a snowstorm. So we played City Winery Chicago as Ben Soli's backup band for one night. Were you guys already his opener? or? Uh, yeah, we were opening oh, for okay, him okay. that night, and then he was like, oh, you guys play strings? Let's just do this. He's an amazing cellist. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he, he didn't just have to call you up and you happen to be in Chicago. No, no, no. Here. We're not like on a first name basis yet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. But Martin we actually toured with after our show with him at City Winery. We went on a huge tour across the West Coast with him, which wow. was super cool. So, yeah, Chicago has lent us a lot of amazing opportunities. We're we're originally uh, Michiganders, but um, we we tend to crash here a lot with our friend Val Haller from Val's List. And, you know, she takes really good care of us. And so this is kind of like our second, like, home away from home. Mm -hmm. We, like, do all of our laundry here and eat bagels (laughs) from, like, Once Upon a Bagel. (laughs) That's a plug. I'm not getting paid for them. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, The best bagels ever. (laughs) Uh, So, like you guys, like you said, you're from Michigan. How did the band uh, form? Was it um, high school, uh, band camp? I don't know what kids do nowadays. one time at band camp, (laughs) formed the Accidentals. No, I'm kidding. Um, Katie and I met in our Philharmonic Orchestra program in high school, or public school, um, in Traverse City, Michigan. And uh, she was 15, I was 16. And we were um, in this classical quartet together, so we would do, like, weddings every once in a while. But 
where where we really got to know each other was in this alternative styles group that stayed after school and played like Led Zeppelin on orchestral <laughs> instruments. And uh, so we did that for a long time. And our teacher needed like two representatives from the alternative styles group for an upcoming concert. And the two of us were the only people who raised our hands. Yeah, we were like overachievers. But we're also, like, really introverted, so we never really talked to each other this whole time. We went on the same camping trips together in our hometown. Yeah, our we were houses little... were, like, five minutes away from each other. And we, we never talked to each, know other. each other. Never never once. It was crazy. Um, yeah. So we, we really got thrown together for this um, concert, and she came over to my house to rehearse, and uh, we ended up playing the White Stripes instead of rehearsing. So we pretty much there became a go. band that night, yeah. <laughs> And we've been a band for six years now, so yeah, we're all 21 and 22. We met Michael in 2014. No, no, we met him, we met him in, in 2013. 2013. We always mess with <laughs> I know. I can't keep track of it. Michael is like, he's like the most organized mind out of all of us, so he can keep track of like every gas station we've ever stopped at. Um, but yeah, so 2013 we met him at a music festival, and he's been playing with us. Ever since. Well, mm-hmm. you know, he forgot to tell us for a full year that he played drums. We found him at this festival playing guitar, and we were like, oh, he's really good, and we became friends, and then I recorded this demo and sent it to him, and he's like, oh, can I play drums on that? I'm like, we've been looking for a drummer for a year and a half. <laughs> what do you mean you play drums? Well, because I was, like, really yeah. in a kind of a singer songwriter phase where I just, like, wasn't playing the drums too okay. much. Like, I'd been playing drums since I was, like, four years old, and it was, like, my main instrument, and so I was really kind of getting into playing guitar, and writing songs and so like I just kind of forgot that you know like they didn't know that I played drums <laughs> yeah Michael is one of I'm not just saying this either Michael's one of the best drummers I've ever seen in my entire life so other than Rodney Holmes Rodney Holmes still has you I love Rodney <laughs> what um I'm just gonna jump right back what was your favorite Zeppelin song to jam to Oh man, we had an arrangement of cashmere that we used yeah. to do okay. all the time with our like our little group. We would all like be playing like really nerdy little parts. Oh my gosh! Oh, uh, we actually covered No Quarter the other day, which was super fun. Um, yeah, all kinds of stuff. I I would really like to do um like every Led Zeppelin song really, and a couple of Radiohead songs. So that's our that's our next goal, next project. It's just it's it's nice because you guys said five six years ago when you guys are. God, you guys are young. Uh, but so it's just nice to hear that, you know, people are still listening to Led Zeppelin in high school. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I don't know what kids do nowadays. It's, <laughs> I was, you know, I was like the kid that in seventh grade started like buying vinyl again. You know, like going to the used. Yeah. Because you can get Zeppelin a few of those, for like yeah. two bucks Dude, before the huge back. boom happened. Oh, yeah. No, vinyl definitely came back. Most of my, uh, my friends who are DJs definitely picked up on that and i played a lot of vinyl on college radio yes yeah, so that's what you you have to do oh yeah, on college you have radio. To, yeah if you're at so, college you got to do college radio i played i played black dog a lot because that was oh, the only just song say that one. was the only song on that record that still played wow. <laughs> at the radio station that's hilarious. oh my gosh that's funny no, but, i love um, that song no that was the one i played a lot um so you guys are touring around you're in chicago now city winery you're this is your first major label album mm-hmm. correct called odyssey minor tangent before we talk about that are you wearing a nerdist shirt on the album cover i am in fact okay i thought i knew what that logo was so I'm like, I'm i've gonna, seen that before i'm gonna do a spoiler because nobody's asked us this question and they can only find it on this podcast but katie <laughs> is wearing a wolf pack shirt michael's wearing a nerdist shirt and i'm wearing an american gods shirt by neil gaiman which okay. is the book and the tv show that just came out so okay all of us are super nerds about 
podcast books and nerdy funk bands. Yeah, the best part uh-huh. about that was, um, you know, we had to get a release signed by Nerdist basically really? to say like that we could use the the shirt on the cover, and we got an email back from uh, Chris Hardwick's lawyer, and it said, uh, Chris, it, what what did it say? It was like, uh, Chris you know, welcomes that you decided to wear the shirt on the album cover. And Michael like almost peed like... his pants. <laughs> <laughs> I am Michael's like a, a fan huge... of redheaded nerds like Chris Hardwick and Adam Savage. Because <laughs> he is a redheaded nerd. We love that you, Michael. I have no problem with it. I've been listening to Nerdist for a long time. It's, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's why you start a podcast nowadays. <laughs> I, I'm this close to starting a podcast. I know, it's that and like Adam Savage's podcast. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, it's it's what's up. Michael would ha- do a great podcast because you can really like channel that uh, radio voice, like smooth, <laughs> like husky. Like. Oh, you're listening to NPR. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my my intro podcast. It sounded exactly like that because. <laughs> I didn't know how well to record it, so it was just an intro of me explaining what I'm going to do on the future episodes. So I'm talking real close to the mic, really <laughs> quiet. My wife and my son was three at the time. He they're sleeping in the other room. So and then so when I put it up, the first message I got back from a friend of mine just like, "So you're working for NPR now?" <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know it's funny about that is um, a couple of the songs that Katie wrote on Odyssey, she wrote like in the basement while her parents were sleeping upstairs, so she yes. had to be like super quiet about it. Then I had to um, change the key so that is actually an appropriate level that I could sing at in real life. <laughs> oh yeah, I, like whisper sing all of my songs. Okay. <laughs> so. How? Uh, what was the process of making this album? Uh, because this, if this was your first major label album, how does that differ from making standard indie L- uh, EPs or anything like that? You know, um, this album was kind of the culmination of a couple of years of, like, um, for six years we'd had some songs that had never been recorded ever, and then, you know, we'd played them thousands of times live, but we just ne- hadn't gotten them down on paper and then other songs we, like, had just recently written. So we tried to kind of compile all the songs that um, spanned our career a little bit. And uh, mm-hmm. they all kind of have to do with moving forward boldly, um, even though it can be really scary sometimes to do so. Um, and so the process for choosing those songs kind of came naturally. And we actually had a lot of freedom when it came to recording this album. Like, I think the stereotype is that you know, once you're on a major label, you start losing all your control and, like, you don't have as much creative license over things. And that really mm-hmm. wasn't true for this situation at all. We met with the head of the label and he's like, yeah, you guys can produce your own record. You can, you know, pick where you want to record it. You can pick who you want to do it with. And, like, you can pick what songs are on there. Like, that is unheard of for a couple of 21-year-olds to have, like, complete creative control over an album that's a major label debut. But, I don't know, they really believed in us. So, we, uh... We went to Asheville, and we went to Nashville, which isn't confusing at all. And uh, we recorded um, 13 songs in both those places with a couple of different... Um, we were, had a co-producer, Jason Lenning, and we had a couple of different engineers. We used a couple of different mixing engineers, and we mastered it twice. It was a process, but totally. it came out exactly the way we intended it to come out. And, uh, yeah, that's what's important, I guess, is that you stay true to who you are with it. So were the studios... Uh, that you recorded in, because you mean Nashville uh, and North Carolina. How did that work? Was that just something that the label set up? Or uh, did you want to record at these particular studios? 
Um, just it just seems so far apart to yeah. record a, a mm-hmm. block of song. Or did that just coincide with touring? No, our, our co-producer Jason knew about Echo Mountain Recording Studios, okay. and that is like notorious for having Iron and Wine there, and like Sylvan Esso, Band of Horses, all these amazing artists who are like kind of you know who we, we really enjoy and love. So totally. we went out there and did that there, and then um, in Nashville. Um, our entire business team, our legal team, a bunch of people are there, and it's kind of got these amazing, like, vintage studios, including um, Addiction Studios, which is owned by the band Journey. We recorded, like, half our album there. Yeah, that was a hookup <laughs> from uh, our friend Sharon uh, Corbett House, who uh, has worked, um, you know, in the recording industry there for a long time, so she helped us out there, but timing is also a huge thing. Like, we basically, like, recorded the album in the middle of, like, touring breaks because okay. we were primarily a touring band so right. usually we do like 230 shows a year like Damn. bam 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 and um when we were going in to do odyssey we had like some time set aside and then our original producer um had a different time commitment and fell through last minute so we were like scrambling and that's when jason came on board and uh, really helped us out uh, we did like two weeks of um doing the basic tracks in Asheville, and that was like literally we recorded like in the basement of the studio through like Halloween, one through year ago, the Cubs like, exactly. game, like the uh, what else? Um, the election, and uh, we mixed through like Christmas. So it was cr- like the entire world was like shifting outside the studio. <laughs> yeah, Meanwhile, we're like, all right, a track, you know, like a song a day, like knocking. It, it was yeah, like I'd emotionally draining. Yeah, I would say so. I, you met, you get the Cubs winning the World Series for the first time and. <laughs> hundred some odd the years highest of highs. you get an, an election that was let's say unpredictable yeah unpredictable <laughs> um, indeed yeah it was crazy but uh i will say that i, I interviewed the uh creator of cards against humanity and they told when this is still when trump was campaigning back last january 2016 or mm. february they did not have a donald trump card yet and i we we I told him, and he agreed, if he wins, you have to make a Donald Trump card now. <laughs> I don't know if he's come through with that yet. So we'll, we'll see. It might, have to, check on it might have to be <laughs> a question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll see, if, he, we'll see if, he, if he's lived up to it and if I get my royalties. Oh, good, good, good. So, That's the important part. <laughs> <laughs> um, the description that I read of you guys, multi-instrumentalists, how many different instruments are you guys playing on this album? Oh man, anything with strings. So I know, um, I, I'm sad by the way, my obnoxious <laughs> voice, hi. Uh, I play violin, guitar, bass, upright and electric, um, and I also play mandolin and banjo on this album, and viola. Um, so anything with strings that is like mildly related to each other, like that's what I play. And I cannot play saxophone to save my life, even though I would love well, to. Uh, yeah, Tony plays... No, 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 no I tried to. I, no, I cannot play, play sax. No, no, no. We talked <laughs> this about this. Yes, we talked about this before we started recording. Both uh, be, of us wanted you, to play saxophone. Yes, you because you play cello and I played that for two years in fifth and sixth grade, and I said the reason I did it was because too many people chose huh. saxophone, so the school gave me cello. Wow. So, <laughs> but um, anyway. but your main instrument is the cello. It is. Yeah. Okay. I've been playing um, cello primarily since you know, fifth grade um, in our public school systems and then picked up electric guitar um, so that I could uh, audition for our school's jazz band. And then um, on the album, you know, I think we do like, I think I played a little bit of like electric bass, acoustic guitar, 
Um, sometimes I bring out the accordion. Yes. Um, I played, um, like, on my iPhone. I use it as a slide on my electric guitar for uh, a song. Yeah, we, Nightlife, we didn't so. have any slides, so she just used the back <laughs> end of her iPhone to create that noise. It was an added bonus. Oh, yeah, I got video of it. Now. It's like <laughs> it's so exclusive yeah. multi footage. Yeah. <laughs> and then are you just strictly percussion or... Um, on this record, yeah, uh, I did backing vocals as well, um, and did drums. I don't think, on the, on the Parking Lot EP, I did a guitar on a song, mm-hmm. um, but I think on this one, I was pretty much just drums, and yeah. just, like, every kind of thing I could hit, basically. <laughs> <laughs> there was a great, um, moment when we were tracking, I think it was for, uh, Nightlife, where we set up, there was a room upstairs in the studio where it was, like, this giant old ballroom, and we set up, like, a couple of toms around the floor and put, like, a couple of room mics out. Oh, yeah. And I was just up there, like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and, like, just cavemanning it. And it was so much fun because I'd get done with this take and I'd be all sweaty. And then our producer would be like, all right, so you want to do one more? Like, I'd have the headphones on. Just... Gosh, I hope we have video of all that. Do you guys have a uh, go-to or a favorite? I mean, cello is your main instrument, but do you have one that... How often, like, how often do you bust out the accordion? Like, is it, is it, would that be like your favorite or? Not often enough. Um, I don't know. I think it really depends. Like for us, um, our band is kind of based on like variety and like, um, not having enough attention to like stick to one thing for so long. That's why we kind of like go from genre to genre to genre. So, um, like songwriting wise, if I get stuck on guitar, usually we write, Savannah and I write independently and we do, we sit in a corner by ourselves alone Mm -hmm. and. Uh, play guitar and sing and if I get stuck then I'll go to the cello and okay. try to play the cello like a guitar or the guitar like a cello and yeah and, um, um when we'll we improvise out. yeah when we improvise with people um oftentimes we'll do violin and cello just because that's where we started when we were both 11 oh, years really? old and that's like ingrained like that pattern is ingrained at least in my brain like having that strung and fits thing I can't Katie's actually really great at electric guitar because I remember Back when we were in high school, she was in the school's jazz band playing electric guitar for them, and I was like, that girl is the coolest girl ever. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're, so Savannah was cool to me because she had a, um, a blue violin, yeah. and she, also, she played <laughs> nice. gigs in high school. I did. With her family's band, and I was like, that girl's got a gig? Like, that's so <laughs> cool. With my family band. <laughs> Meanwhile, you had yeah. gigs with jazz band? I did jazz band in junior well, high. Yeah, Katie. Yes. Jazz band. Yeah, I carried a, like a tube amp up like three flights of stairs once for one of the jazz band um, competitions, and I'll never, oh never God. forget that. Muscular. Yeah, I think that's the other reason why there has not yet been an accordion song is because you would then have to tour with the accordion. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Just ask Weird Al how he does it. All right. Yeah, exactly. So. I wonder, just, I wonder if he has, like, deal. you know how, like, artists have, like, yeah. ten guitars on stage? Yeah, exactly. Like, he's I wonder if he's have, got a bunch of accordions. He have an accordion <laughs> like, he's got to have just a room, just a wall of them hanging on the wall or something uh, like that. Oh, man. He had, like, an accordion for every tour. It's, like, decked out. Oh, man. Why, why is this? If it's not happened, Weird Al, come on. <laughs> Come on. If you're listening, just have just show Where's like his royalty? episode, of, his episodes of Cribs or something. You just see his music room, his all accordions or something like that. Oh, man. Uh, and then I have to ask: I saw the music video for Odyssey. Is that an electric cello? Yes. In it, mm-hmm. that exists. Yes. I've never wild. seen anything like that because it looks like is it strapped on here and then to a belt? 
Yeah, so it's okay. a really interesting system. Um, I stole the idea from a duo called the Moxie Strings. Okay. Because um, they came and did a workshop with our class when Sav and I were in high school. And it's literally like a cellist and a violinist. And um, we're, we're actually really good friends with them now. Um, and the cellist, um, Allie, she has an, an NS, Ned Steinberger Design Cello. And the cello part, it looks like a stick, basically. People ask me all the time what that stick thing is. Um, tuned like a normal cello. And you have a detachable, like, attachment. So for a while, uh, I played it, like, on a tripod kind of stand. Or you can play it with, like, a traditional end pin. And uh, Allie introduced me to that harness. And so it's just kind of, like, strapped over my body. And then the cello goes on it. And then I can dance around. Actually, our primary (laughs) um, live show instruments are both electric orchestra instruments. So Mm -hmm. um, she plays Ned Steinberger cello. And I play a liquid violin, electric violin. And actually, I um, this happened three days ago, but... I had a double violin case with my acoustic and my electric violins in it. And I'm recording this because this I just need to put this out there as like a goodbye. Um, but anyway. A eulogy. Uh, yes, exactly. So I had them sitting on the curb outside of our recording studio. And we got in the car and I looked out the window of our car and I realized that the case isn't where I put it. It's like on the side of the road and yeah. it looks dented up and stuff. And I start freaking out like Michael runs and grabs it, like runs across the road and go, goes and gets it. And like we opened up and both violins are smashed. Like oh. my electric and my acoustic are just demolished. Did so. they like fall off the roof? Or? I don't, I think what happened was either somebody put it behind the wheel well of our trailer or somebody hit it in their car and just kept going. And oh. yeah, it just, I was crushed. So anyway, that sucks. We, I know we got a backup plan though. I had an extra, um, electric violin from this guy, um, in Ojai, who makes violins, um, he actually used to design the ships for Star Trek, and he's working on Tesla cars right now, but he also makes violins, so we've been working really closely. He's a wide range. Yeah, I know. He's, <laughs> he's a cool guy. He's really smart and really funny, and so, uh, yeah, we're getting that fixed, but in the meantime, whew, yeah. it's uh, been a crazy couple of days. It always is for the Accidentals. Oh my gosh, and after that happened, um, we have a really good friend in Flint named... Uh, Mark Schwartz, who uh, does violins and cellos and basses and stuff, and he totally hooked us up that yeah. night. Like, um, my gosh, like he 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 was gonna see if he could fix the acoustic violin, and then let us borrow another violin uh, to take on the tour. And he's just—I mean, he's been incredible. Like when we needed um, some better instruments uh, to record the record with. Um, he was totally cool, like, uh, letting us rent them. And, he didn't uh, even let us, like, he just yeah. gave them. He said, we'll figure it out later. And that's he what he like, did for this, he too. He has so much trust in us, it's ridiculous. Like, he handed me, he's like, oh, your bows need to be re-haired. Because, like, the problem with the, the violin bows is that um, they have horse hair. So sometimes yeah. you play and then the hairs break. So he's like, well, let me take care of that. Meanwhile, take this loner bow. He hands me a bow <laughs> and, like, the price tag on it is literally, like, $1,500. And I'm like... Mm, I'll let you keep that one, Mark. It's uh, <laughs> a good loan. We'll, uh, we'll we'll take a slightly. Do you have any really crappy bows that I <laughs> that uh, I don't He's have like, to feel pressure He's like, here you go, and he hands her a six hundred dollar bow, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay, all right, like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, that's <laughs> crazy, but yeah. Now you guys good. have um, uh, graciously agreed to play an acoustic set of the song "Crow's Feet." It's my personal favorite from the album. Um, can you uh, just describe uh, what that song means to you guys in the process of writing something like that? You said the whole album is more like a, a journey, hence mm-hmm. Odyssey. But if you could just explain that one song, because it seems totally. a little more on the heavier side. 
Yeah, I wrote that song uh, three years ago, and we had just, I we just graduated. Um, Katie graduated mm-hmm. from high school, and I'd done a year of college, kind of waiting for her, and we were t- just starting to take off on the road full time, and uh, that is such a huge adjustment. When I think about like how we were three years ago, I'm like almost ashamed. I'm like, oh, you don't know anything. Like, what are you doing? And like. The balance of the road is really hard because it's about time management. It's about, like, becoming a car mechanic almost and, like, figuring out how to take care of your equipment, like, understanding how to how to make an itinerary, like, where you're going to stay every night and, like, making connections, being an extrovert, basically, and an introverted environment. Or, um, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of different things. It's a huge learning curve. And I think a lot of that went into crow's feet when I was writing it, um, especially since um, I think a lot of it is about you know, our families and, um, you know, finding time for them as well as something that you enjoy doing. Like, Katie's sister literally just graduated high school, or she's in college now. Yeah. She just went to college, and Michael's sister got married, which is crazy. And yeah, I still uh, don't like the phrase brother-in-law. It's oh, me either. Me out, Stop saying it. <laughs> anyway, um, and, and my little brother is like 16 now and is driving my car, and I'm like, why? Life is moving so quickly, and like it's just moving in skips and hops. How am I keeping up? You know, like am I missing out on really important aspects of life by going out and you know being on the road all the time and never being like as home as much as other people are? You know, and uh, it's really hard. I think. The biggest thing is you you always want what you don't have and you always think about, you know, like, well, have I made the wrong decision? And instead of doing those things and kind of worrying holes into your brain, you kind of have to just be present no matter where you are and understand that, you know, regret's kind of a waste of time. Um, you kind of have to make the most of whatever path you choose to take rather than worrying about what's on the other path that you abandoned, you know. And that's uh, really what that whole song is about. It's a... Uh, I tried not to make it as heavy, but it is um, just a huge risk that you take living on the road full time and lots of stuff can go wrong and, you know, you can, you can really get hurt out here. And so it's been, a, it's been a crazy journey, but I think, you know, being present has helped a lot and uh, writing it all down and being there for each other is huge. And uh, we find time to have um, really cool, like breathtaking views and experiences along the way. And so... Yeah, well, that song has all of it, I think, in there. That's a really long answer. It's just <laughs> no, I, a lot I agree. of content. I agree. Um, so here they are. Here are the Accidentals uh, performing live a version of Crow's Feet off Odyssey. Your smile is just like a caution sign. Kill Crow's Feet around your eyes. Veins, roads just keep rolling on Maps to the heart that we dwell upon And when I'm uncertain, I pull back the curtains to see But when I feel worthless, it's cause I've accepted defeat Sunset Stains like a nectarine Stopped by a belligerent cash machine Gold lines, destruction and comforting You ask why I am suffering All I wanted was something to cradle 
Sometimes it's like life is a crash.
Now it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You put this Thank in the you. Control. So how would you guys uh, define your sound, your music styling as a whole? Because there's obviously a lot of folk influences in there, but um, how, how would you guys present yourselves? I think it's just a, a, a mix of whatever we are currently listening to. Like, I think there's a lot of different um, styles uh that come into play in our music and i think that we all kind of bring a different type of flavor to the mix as well um but i've definitely seen you know uh if someone's writing a new song or something it's kind of like oh they're definitely listening to this band right now or something like that yeah that's true because we we toured with some um artists in 2015-16 like keller williams and martin sexton and like we kind of like learn uh little bits and pieces from all of them and kind of work as sponges and try to absorb all of it um for sure like we've got the orchestral roots um and then folk and uh rock and pop and we sometimes call ourselves indie folk rock but um we've also been playing around with the term like genre bending um we're trying to coin the phrase alternacana alternative americana <laughs> yeah so I mean, uh, that, uh, we'll, catch it, we'll catch it on but what's crazy is like we have a song at the end of the set that starts out classical goes to celtic fiddle tuning and ends in j- gypsy jazz standard and i think sure like, as one does yeah yeah exactly you know and i think that really like i feel like that the reason why we end the night with that is because it kind of sums up like who we are like there's no there's no limitations one way or another on what we're going to try and and execute you know it's totally. there's not really a good way to put any genre on something um you kind of have to let music speak authentically for itself and what i love about like that song at the end of the night is that it's um it's not it's not really like blended it's literally like a juxtaposition of we play this fiddle tune and then all of a sudden we like get really crazy and start playing this gypsy jazz tune and people are surprised and some people like you know start laughing yeah and, like you know, earlier in the set, like, we made them cry with crow's feet, and, like, you know, kind of, it's, like, it's, you know, it's all, like, sharp contrast, and I think that's, like, the really cool thing about um, the sets when we're putting them together. Okay. No, totally. What, when you say um, that that's what you want the audience to sort of gather with your, with your music, what do you try to bring to those live shows? What more so do you, like, try to bring to those that are different from what they'll hear on the album? Um, I think the live shows are like, you know, sometimes, um, especially at like the performing arts centers or the intimate venues, we do a lot of storytelling. So we really break it down and tell the story behind the songs. Lately, Michael's been like leading the audience through tales of our last tour because we had like eight mechanical breakdowns. The harrowing adventures of Sam, Katie, and Michael. (laughs) Yeah, there have been a lot of really, well, there's a, we've made a lot of new stories on this tour as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's really nice to be able to connect with the audience on that kind of personal level. And, um, you know, no matter what room we're in, we know we'll, we'll at least get one or two stories out, even if it's kind of like a crowded bar or, or something like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's really lovely to kind of uh, communicate with the audience in that way. I think uh, oftentimes our live shows are more catered to what the room feels like, uh, like uh, we'll go out and kind of check out the environment. Like, is it packed with people? How many of them are sitting down? <laughs> How many of them are standing up and close to the stage? Do they want to, like, rock out or do they want to, like, you know, sit down and drink a cup of coffee and listen to some stories and to some music? And uh, 
based on that, we can construct a set list, but it changes every night. And we honestly, we think sometimes we're like five different bands in one because we play a lot of really strange venues. Like, uh, we'll play, like Katie said, performing arts centers. We'll play, um, schools. We'll do like workshops. We'll do, um, bars, like dive bars. We'll also do like huge theaters. I mean, everything when, you know, you just kind of switch around and uh, cater your songs to certain environments um, and build it up and kind of uh, test the dynamics a little bit. And that's been uh, really nice for my, spon- like, really crazy, like, chaotic brain because I like having variety every night and it keeps me from getting, like, monotonous, I feel. Uh, you guys are playing City Winery in Chicago. Have you guys played anywhere else here before? You mentioned oh, that yeah. you had played their uh, City Winery itself. Um, do you have any favorites or is City Winery, um, the best one? You know, they have been really good to us. Uh, we it's also, a nice venue. It is. Oh, yeah. Right. And we've played oh, yeah. Space in Evanston as well. I know we've been to Chicago, like at least like 20 or 25 times doing different things. And Val actually, Val Heller from ValsList.com runs a concert series, um, that she kind of hosted us for. So we got like, we slowly built a base all around Chicago thanks to her. And so... Now uh, we're able to do cool gigs like City Winery and Space and uh, yeah, didn't we like back, I remember back in like 2014 we did some of the clubs like Martyrs and like the Elbow Room and stuff. Oh I yeah, think, I didn't we like do Shubas and yeah. uh, Lincoln Hall? Yeah, we Lincoln did Hall. do Lincoln Hall. And then yeah. uh, that fe- isn't like the School of Folk. Oh around yeah, here? Old Town School yes. of Folk. Um, we yeah. did a festival for them this past summer. Yeah, we've been down here like yeah. more than I remember. <laughs> no, really, like it had to be at least 25 or 30 times. Wow, down here yeah. In so I just have to ask then, do you have a go-to, like, food in Chicago? Ooh. I, I have, because Chicago's famous for many things, whether it's the pizza, the hot dogs, the beef, or whatever. Do you have a go-to restaurant even, or just, um... Well, I'm, I've got family out in Naperville, and they used okay. to live in Wrigleyville. Okay. Um, and, uh... You go to the Wiener Circle a lot? <laughs> No, I, I haven't been there, but um, we'd go to like Lumalnati's or okay. like you know because you kind of have to. Yeah, if every you're so it, often. Yeah, if you're here every so often, it's fine. I know a lot of a lot of people who live in Chicago will kind of knock deep dish, <laughs> but it, it's if you're here every now and then, you gotta just sort of try it, especially yeah. Lumalnati's. That's my favorite for lunch. <laughs> so now we're actually one of the best things about being on the road is. Um, being able to eat cool food across the country. I bet. Like, that's you like can try the, the delicacies of each city. Oh, yeah. I think, like, I was just telling our manager the other day, like, half the re- like half the things that I really need on the road are all basic human needs, like eating food and, like, getting enough water and, like, knowing how many hours I get to sleep at night. And the food is a big part. And uh, actually, Katie runs a food blog called Katie Eats Food. Yeah, I didn't get very creative with the name. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. It's great. Katie's it's funny because, like, on the road, like, a lot of – a lot of our funny stories like coincide with food too and like you know it's cool to do to do that and usually like in chicago like the venues that we play have really great food like i know city winery and space great food but yeah. um, what do you recommend we check out oh i have no recommendation i'm just trying to see what you guys <laughs> i mean if you I, I don't know how long you guys are in the area but i mean it's i mean lose is my favorite deep dish um uh yeah. peace is overrated <laughs> um, uh, Peace is one of those rare pizza places 
where their white pizza is better than their regular, oh, nice. and it's bizarre. That shouldn't be a selling that point might for be, anyone. Actually, that might be my selling point because tomatoes are super hard for me, like especially on gig days. So. Well, no, it's I'm not saying it's bad by any means, oh, no, no, but it's no. just it's just people who think that that's the best pizza in Chicago <laughs> haven't had all the pizza in Chicago. Um, is it I, possible to have all the pizza in Chicago? I don't, I don't know. know. Oh my god. Um, I don't know. Uh, I prefer Mr. Beef to Al's Beef. Uh, Portillo's is good. It's okay. He's got this recorded, Katie. (laughs) Portillo's is good. I have no problem with Portillo's because it's all over the suburbs. So um, that's easy to get to. Oh, God. I don't know if I have any. um... We'll get the full comprehensive list with you. I don't eat. I, I, I live in the south suburbs, so I don't eat in Chicago all the time. Although lately I've been doing a lot of Grubhub at work, mm-hmm. so I've been eating a lot of different. Like I had, I just had Bub City, which is delicious. Um, that's good barbecue. Smoke is good barbecue. Lily's Q is good barbecue. I really like barbecue. Yeah, we were just um, in Yorkville, and last night we Grubhubbed a bunch of um, barbecue from Hog Wings. Sob Sob South Bend Original Barbecue. Yeah, that was that was worthwhile. That was good. Yeah, that was very very good. What was the last one that I mean? Is Kuma it, Kuma's is a Chicago institution. They got yeah. good burgers. Well, you know what's funny though is like as much as I like food, I was born without a sense of taste. Um, <laughs> I was born without a sense of smell, so my taste is like it takes like an extreme thing for me to really like be able to register right. it. And so um, a lot of times it's like about like the environment for me, <laughs> or like what kind of mug like my coffee's in. Like and then I'm like, yeah, this is a good day. Or like, <laughs> and then a lot of it's also rooted in texture, but. Um, it makes for really interesting conversations when we're on there like, what do you think about this? Like, is this a weird con- I Can have... I put mac and cheese, beans, and pork all in a bowl and eat it like that? Is that okay? I'm sure you'll find a place in Chicago that does that. <laughs> um, no, I have a terrible sense of smell too. Oh, wow. Awful. My wife will, my wife has, is just blown away by how much I can't smell something. <laughs> and when you have a new baby... You, yeah, and she's yeah. just like, you don't smell that? Take care of no, her. No, I'm on dishes, litter box, trash, anything that emits a smell. I'm like, oh, that's my job. Okay. We were driving through Iowa once. and um... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we were going like, it was in the, on a back road and we were going through these fields and then you just start to smell manure. Yeah. But our tour manager thought that it was in the car, oh, like the smell was in the car. <laughs> and she opened all the windows oh. and all of us were just like, <laughs> no, it was so terrible. And Savannah's just in the back laughing at all of us <laughs> because she's like doesn't smell anything. It comes in handy sometimes. Sometimes when you're when you're taking those trips, you don't know what's worse is going through an industrial farm oh, where it's yeah. all the all the uh, smokestacks or whatever they're making there, or going through that where it's just you know dead animals or manure smell. Uh-huh. It's just like which one do you choose? Yeah. Or do you choose the van smell, which is right. Um, which Jake's could... socks mixed with <laughs> Dude, um, a banana that was smushed don't behind. Even the... get me started <laughs> on the socks thing. I literally we cleaned out the car one day and I found like twenty pairs of Jake Allen socks. I'm like, what is he? Does he just take them off and throw them on the floor of the van? Like, what in the world? Oh yeah, and one time like we had um, one thing we started doing after we stopped at a science store in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was wear these like NASA jumpsuits. They're like bright orange zip-up jumpsuits and we'd wear them on stage and then we um performed at some show where it was like it was electric raining. forest yeah oh it was electric forest festival in michigan we were sweating on the inside and then the outside was pouring down rain <laughs> and we had to go to another show um so 
at midnight, we like smushed all these NASA jumpsuits into a small duffel bag. And then we went on a tour, a summertime tour in the van. And so it was just like baking in there. Like, so no one wanted to open it up. Not even me. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want, I was like, you know what? I don't need to have a sense of smell to be disgusted by this. Like, this is gross. But for, for context, Jake Allen is an auxiliary guitar and key player that is touring with us for Odyssey. Because we had so many collaborations on this album, like with mm-hmm. Khaki King and Keller Williams and um, Jenny Connolly from the Decemberists and Dominic Davis and Carter Gravatt, like all of these people. And eventually we just ran out of hands to cover all their parts. So Jake <laughs> is touring with us and doing that. What are some of the first concerts that you guys remember going to? And are, is that, when did it register that that might be something that you want to do? Oh man. Oh yeah. I okay, so Michael go first cuz you're the concert dude. Yeah. Well, my first concert was the Red Hot Chili Peppers at the Palace of Auburn Hills in 2006. And the God, bars... you guys are really young. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear I was like the youngest kid there. Like mm-hmm. I I was probably in like 6th grade or something. And the Mars Volta opened up for them. Awesome. And they were terrible. Really? <laughs> it was, I love it was that. right as they released. The, a, they didn't play anything from any of their albums. Their set was a half an hour long. They played three 12-minute songs. Jesus. And even as a drummer, I could not find the beat. Like, I did not know what was going on. And, like, <laughs> years later, I'm still, like, now that I know exactly, like, what the Mars Volta is Dude, right. was and they're going to listen like, to this podcast was... and be like, that kid <laughs> is not allowed at any of our shows. No, no, no. Like, I would go see one of their shows, but, like, that show in particular, I have no idea what happened. Okay. But the Chili Peppers were amazing, and Chad Smith is one of my, like, favorite drummers of all time. So Pretty sure was... that's Will Ferrell. I know. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. Will <laughs> guys. Um, I think I saw a couple concerts, but my memory when it comes to like years and timelines is really messed up. Um, I watched the Punch Brothers when they were first starting out. Like, I watched Nickel Creek when they on their last concert ever as Nickel Creek, and then I watched Punch Brothers. And um, then I saw Sigaros and I saw Guster, and um, those are all really great memories. Um, I personally, whenever I think about concerts, I think my favorite one I ever watched was, um, the Traverse Symphony Orchestra doing Gustav Holst's The Planets. I'm obsessed with Gustav Holst. I think he's one of the best composers that's ever been alive, and The Planets is such an extensive, like, beautifully arranged, um, piece. Anyway, I'll stop geeking out about it, but that was, like, one You're of my first... You're making me want to look it up. It's I so good. It's so good. It's got, um, not all the planets, but a lot of them, and it just kind of, the music really sums up, um what they are and it it's also a huge like people have tapped into the planets for a lot of sci-fi movies and i don't know you can always like if you're listening to the scores behind sci-fi movies you can find bits and pieces um of each um of the themes from the planets and it's just a cool like little throwback for me i don't know i can't unhear it now you know (laughs) so that was like a good concert for me what about you kate um i grew up like i distinctly remember um like not seeing a sh- like a show show for a while because I grew up um, watching concerts. Um, my parents are both like classical musicians, okay. and so I grew up seeing um, concerts that were at the um, art school and camp Interlochen, uh, which is really close to where we live. So I would like watch master classes and see like the band concerts and like the dance performances because my dad like works really closely with like the dance department, um, and so I started listening to like um indie rock and like folk music but i i didn't really have any idea or concept of what a show was actually like Mm -hmm. um i remember savannah took me to my first um, music festival when i was probably like 16 or 17 
Uh, and it was up in Michigan. There are a lot of, like, kind of homegrown, like, uh, festivals on, like, farms or, like, community-run festivals. And so we saw Martin Sexton play um, that one, and it just blew my mind. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Everyone's sitting in the grass outside. Because, like, I hadn't really gone camping before that either. And so I was like, this is amazing. And then five years later, we were touring with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we, then we met him, and, like, it's such a cool scene. I think, like, the first fans that I really started seeing were the ones that we jumped on shows with so yeah. lots of like um local uh, michigan artists um after that uh, we opened up for andrew bird um oh, okay one time and we're huge fans of him and um you know keller williams now we jump on with and carbon leaf and we saw brandy carlisle saw john baez we opened for mm-hmm. her once that was sweet yeah, nice um yeah i think as far as like when we decided we wanted to do this um I was, like we said earlier, I was in a folk band with my family, kind of um, learning improvisational skills on violin for the first couple years. Um, I was introduced to music, and I was also, I kind of started joining, like, jazz groups and, like, doing weird things on the violin, and I wasn't very good at all, but (laughs) when I met Katie, I was 16, and I was like, oh, this girl is writing songs and playing multiple instruments. Maybe I should, like, try my hand at that, and I don't know a lot of it came down to us really influencing each other. And um, even when we started the band, we were not... Um, we I don't think either of us could have predicted that it would have taken us to the point where we're with Sony Masterworks and we're putting out an album, you know? Like, neither mm. of us ever thought we would do this professionally. It just happened really organically. And at one point, we were offered a full-time... Like, a presidential scholarship to Berkeley or a production deal at New York City. And we were given offered those things at the same time we had to choose one in 24 hours because we couldn't defer it and that was like the pinnacle like moment of like are you going to do this full-time are you going to learn how to do this full-time you know like what are you going to do and so it was really hard but we chose to do the production deal because you know we wanted to get that real life experience of touring on the road and um you know school could be on the back burner for us since we are overachievers and you know we love learning but it was super scary and it still is sometimes you know to to live your life in um this kind of it's not chaos necessarily but it is like you know when's the next time i'm gonna even see a walgreens you know like (laughs) when am i ever gonna get time to get anything i need you know i'm out of all my clothes and like i can't find a water bottle (laughs) like crazy times but um i don't know it's it's worthwhile because we've already learned so much from touring like it is college basically um i feel and it's uh really really fun it's college without the social life (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah uh now i've got an idea of what you guys listen to and just current listen to in, in your music sense what i ask this of every musician um what is your guilty pleasure what is the one genre or artist or song that the people who go to your concerts would be surprised that you really like or you really list or like you just dance to or something? Oh, God. I'm going to get so much hate for this, but I, I actually used to love 21 Pilots. I thought they were <laughs> really, really good. I mean, okay, I, I know it's like really poppy music, and typically I, I really can't listen to like Top 40 radio or anything, but I thought that the songs were like, 
enough. They were catchy enough to like keep my attention and stuff. <laughs> and I still like every once in a while I'll just go back to it and be like super nostalgic. Especially I went on a trip to Scotland and I was listening to them the whole time. So. There's no wrong answers. It's a guilty no, it's pleasure. Cool. It's when, not... I, when I think of Twenty One Pilots, and I think about Scotland, and so I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. I, I mean, can I do this. did. I was I was at home uh, earlier this year and I was just driving around and I put on Twenty One Pilots because I was like, I've not really listened to their stuff and I was just listening. I'm like. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Like, I, I get why people would, like, it's it's like Linkin Park, but, like... It's like Linkin Park like and Tudor Cinema Club. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. It's, yeah. It's this generation's Linkin Park, I think. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm older than you, so I still get it. <laughs> no, it's but. cool. It's, it's really... I mean, after a while, I was just kind of like, what are you doing, Sav? And Sav's like, uh, I, don't, I don't really know. Why don't you go back to listening like Andrew Bird? <laughs> what about you, Katie? Um... I don't know, lately, like, I've been, like, really wanting to do a deep dive into, like, 2000s pop. <laughs> like, um... That, that's when I was in high school. That's my bread and butter right there. I, yeah, I, I, could, like, I could name everything there. Yeah, because I, like, you know, I wonder, like, why like why do we consider some things guilty pleasures? Because it's music, you know? Like, rather than I think, like, you know, I we, you know, I don't want to choose things that are, like, too girly or anything, but, like, I really have been listening to some, like, Shania Twain, Sheryl Crow kind of, like, That's not, yeah, you, like, they're roll awesome. down the window. Yeah, they're, like, really badass ladies, but, um, yeah, they're, they're really No, it reminds really me, because uh, I, I asked this question, I, I interviewed Local Age, and Scott, the lead singer, was talking about, because, I mean, he's older than I am, he was talking about growing up in the 80s and the late 70s with disco and that kind of pop oh, music. Oh, man. And he didn't... But when I asked him about Guilty Pleasures, he just gave a, a straight answer. It's just like, I don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. I think, like, that just... And he, he, he made me think about it. I still like asking the question, but he made me think <laughs> about it. It's just like, you know, it's just music. It shapes the music that you listen to mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I thought it was a really good thing because now it makes sense why they do a lot of pop covers and that kind of stuff in their music even and then they make it sound like local age totally yeah so you know, i get still... i i get it when people say they don't really have one now like i didn't get it until i talked to them i'm like you know what yeah that kind of makes sense absolutely well, I see a guilty pleasure as more of like you know if someone looked at me it's like yeah my favorite bands are like death cab for cutie and like mm-hmm. stuff like that and then like like my answer was gonna be do you know baby metal it's so outside of the realm of like so everything else that i listen to to where i feel like guilty pleasure is more of like it just doesn't mathematically doesn't right, right right yeah right. yeah like, I, one of these still, things is not like the others but like, it still <laughs> brings up the idea of guilt and i don't know and I, I don't feel guilty as much about right. anything that i listened to at one point i mean in middle school yeah i feel guilty about the existence of middle school rather than <laughs> yeah. it's just the association mm-hmm. of what i was listening to back then but you know it's it, in the end it is just music and it shapes who we are yeah there were when you were in high school and middle school and you said especially if you were a guy when i was going there it's just like you know you don't say you like in sync you don't say that kind of stuff like that yeah. whereas well, now i, I now i <laughs> <laughs> now i just kind of like i kind of get it like i'm not going to say that that's any good music or anything that i really listen to or stuff like that but i get where it belongs in there whereas like my when I was in junior high and high school, it was all metal and eventually rap rock, and I, it's a, just a weird phase. <laughs> but um, I mean, I still Rage Against the Machine is still my favorite band. Oh, yeah, I was listening awesome. to them the other day. I was like, I pumped the song uh, "Testify" in my headphones because oh. when that drops, it's just like 
boom. Yeah. How he does those guitars, I just, I'll, I'll never. Oh, Apparently, Tom Morello saw us play one time. Really? Oh, at, uh, he was in, in Traverse City. Yeah, That's right. Friday Night Live. He was up there for the film festival because okay. he was debuting like a documentary or something, and we were playing on the street. I, we didn't see him, but people told us afterward, yo, Tom Morello was in the crowd watching you guys. I think, um, was he touring as the Night Watchman then? Or... You know, I don't know. I think it was it was just him up there okay. for the for the film. We've um, also um, one time I think Meg White watched our show once what? at um, at One Trick Pony in Grand Rapids. What? Yeah, that's what no I heard. Way. I'm sorry. Where did this story come from? How long have How long have you kept this secret? That was like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I thought somebody said they saw her at One Trick Pony while we were there. So I don't know. It could be anything, but I don't know. (laughs) You never know who's watching, even at you know unsuspecting places. You got to be ready. My dad actually tells me my dad was a touring musician. Both my parents were, and um, my dad told me that he played this one club uh, where there was like literally like chicken wire like around the the venue, and it's just like the inside is gross and dirty. And he got um, a full time gig with Terry Clark there. And he was like, it was a sustainable gig for like the next, I don't know, 10 or so years because of this one dive bar that he played. And so he's always saying, you never know who's watching. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, I'll, I'll throw my, I, I, I love Vanessa Carlton. I don't care. Oh, that's, yeah. That's my guilt. That's so mine. Does, I so throw it my out dad, there. My dad. Is she the, tends to jam. That lady? Yeah. A thousand miles. Yeah. Walking fast. Yeah. No, I anyway, love that that's song. our cover. I will I will stop my wife from changing the radio station. <laughs> yes. And it but yeah, no, I that's that's my one. And I'll and I'll still listen to goofy pop songs like pretty much anything, uh, Carly Ray Jepsen or oh, yeah. like that kind of goofy stuff because it's you know, it's not the most intellectual, but it's no, just here's sort of how fun. I look at it. Sometimes, and plus, my kids can listen to it. Sometimes you don't want to eat a bag of Skittles all the time, but every once in a while you want to yeah. eat a bag of Skittles. You yeah. know, it's like, do I yeah. want to pour a bag and of Skittles man, down my ear canal? Maybe once in a while. You know, man, when I want to eat that bag of Skittles, yeah. I will eat that bag of Skittles. Yeah, I, go hard. I will. Yeah, I go hard. You know. It's easier to listen to Kiss FM though with kids in the car. My son heard that new Imagine Dragons song "Thunder" mm-hmm. once, and now he's going around the house to "Thunder, Thunder," <laughs> and it's just like over and over again. And I'm just like, I'm like, okay, sure. It was, it was better sure, when it was better when he was two, and he heard "I Will Wait" by Mumford and Sons. Oh no! But he couldn't form his words, so he's running around just saying "I will wait, I will wait for you." And it took me and my wife a few minutes to figure out what he's doing, and I'm like. He heard it in a radio. <laughs> Who's he waiting for? Yeah. I have cousins like that. Like if they just hear some refrain or something, yeah. it'll take me forever to actually figure right. out what they're referring to. Mainly right. because like when little kids sing along the songs, they're mainly just screaming one note. Yeah. It's just the <laughs> syllables that they could understand that yeah. come out. It's right. like... Oh man, I love little kids. Oh, they're so good. Uh, now, uh, we're, we're winding down here. But uh, one thing that is, is not on my list that, that Katie told me beforehand is that you can impersonate Obama. And I've had someone impersonate Obama <gasps> in the past. Michael. And you your manager that. said that you sing as Obama, too. Well, I, I did, it's basically me just speaking the lyrics as Obama. Okay. Over so you're basically, like so you're slam poeting. Obama doing slam poetry. Slam poetry. Yeah. <laughs> now, can I... Can I hear it? And is there any is there a song or a Here, speech it. or something that you prefer to do? Uh, th- nothing in particular, but 
Every time, every time this happens, all I can picture is like James Lipton from inside the. Like, can we speak to a? Yeah, exactly. Now? You know. <laughs> we used to. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Behind the microphone. We used to cover all about that bass uh, because we got a request for it from Michael's mom, and uh, the first time we ever covered it, we all played bass, which was hilarious. It was my dad's suggestion, but. Mm. Um, we were rehearsing it and Michael started just singing all the lyrics because he sings a song. He started singing them as like Marge Simpson and like Gilbert Gottfried and oh, God. all these crazy people. And he did Obama and I just, I couldn't keep playing. It was just so funny. <laughs> so it, do you want to do like a verse? Wait, can you play the drum? I, I don't care. You got it. No, no, no. I do you know the verse? Nope. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but it was like, yeah, go ahead. All right, here we go. <clears throat> all right. You want to do like a chorus and a verse? <laughs> Alright. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Because, you know, I'm all about that bass. About that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass. About that bass, no trouble. All about the bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass. About that bass. I think it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two. But I can shake it, shake it. Like I'm supposed to do. Cause I got that boom boom that all the boys chase, and I got all the right junk in all the right places. Uh, uh, I forgot the words. Oh. oh man. Oh my goodness. Well, that was that was good. So that'd be, that might that. be a good way to podcast. That's right. Uh, the accidentals, thank you very much for sitting down with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And tomorrow at City Winery. Uh, what time do you guys go on? 11.30. Okay. We uh, play a brunch show, and then we're going to take off and play a show in Fort Wayne that night. Indiana. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> so if it gets out to Fort Wayne, there you go. you got a show in Fort Wayne tomorrow, too. Guys, thank you very much for sitting down with me. Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you.